Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking to others in languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even upon my slaves, both men and women." In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you to each of our foreign language readers this morning. I love how this, and thank you for no one reacting scared or frantic or anything, at least that I saw. I love how this day and this group with the Holy Spirit among us bring this text to life in such a special way. Also a special thanks to two members of our church staff, Adrian Bush and Kate Berry, and they're working together on putting the script together and bringing the team together this morning. Now might be a good time to shamelessly plug another opportunity that they are working on for a similar type thing, the Kids Music and Theater Arts Camp that will be the week after Vacation Bible School. Kate and Adrian are heading up that camp as well, and so you know it will be a great time for our children to grow in their abilities to bring Scripture to life. The camp culminates with a performance of a show called Called. 
With Vacation Bible School and the theater, Kids Music and Theater Arts Camp, in the first few weeks of June, this summer will be off to a great start for our children here at First United Methodist Church. Two years before I was appointed as an associate minister here in 2018, so in 2016, I began seminary at Candler School of Theology at Emory University. A few months before starting seminary, I prayerfully discerned taking a student appointment while in seminary and commuting to Atlanta. That was something that people that I had looked up to in ministry, like our very own Dr. Jay Cooper, had done before me. Through conversation and prayer, I knew that God was calling me to serve the local church here in the Alabama West Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church. I also found that God wasn't calling me to start that ministry in three years, but I found that God was calling me to start that ministry right away. As so, to serve as a licensed local pastor during my first year of seminary, I needed to go to what we call licensing school. That year, the Alabama West Florida Conference's licensing school was in March, which was a bit of an issue for me as I would graduate from my undergraduate degree at Auburn in May. The final semester of senior coursework as you prepare for graduation does not really make space for the freedom to disappear for a few weeks to licensing school, no matter really where you are. So I had to figure out an alternate plan. Fortunately, that year, the Florida Annual Conference had their licensing school the last week of May and the first week of June. So I made arrangements and got the approval to spend two weeks in Lakeland, Florida at Florida Southern College and do the coursework necessary to get a license to preach and be certified as a licensed local pastor. I chose this Florida licensing school for no reason other than that it was the one that worked in my schedule that was also the closest drive. I remember Ohio was another option, but Florida was a much closer drive. Little did I know, what I thought would be just checking a box turned out to be an incredible experience. The Florida Licensing School was not just for Floridians and one wayward Alabamian, but it also served as licensing school for some prospective pastors in the United Methodist Church throughout the Caribbean. There were pastors from several different islands that spoke several different languages. There were so many different contexts that were represented in this gathering of people. Many different contexts in many different ways. There was a pastor from Haiti. There were pastors from urban Florida, like Miami and Tampa. Pastors from rural Florida, which rural Florida, very different from urban Florida. There were pastors from beach towns, panhandle pastors, one from South Georgia that was like me, and one from Alabama. It was like being with Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judeans, Cappadocians, Asians, people from Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egyptians, Libyans, Romans, Cretans, Arabs, Jews, and proselytes. Though we were from very different contexts, had different ideas for best practices for ministry, had different opinions on any number of topics, we came together all in one place around the gospel message of Jesus Christ 
and around our common calling as United Methodists to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. For me, the most moving part of the experience that we had was a moment in our preaching portion. Everyone wrote and preached a sermon with opportunity for feedback. The international pastors were given the opportunity to preach in the language of their context. And the school secured a student from Florida Southern College who spoke their language to translate for them. One of the pastors, Gregorio from Haiti, said that he wanted to preach in Haitian Creole because that was the language that his congregation spoke. When he said that, I thought that there was no way that there was a student available, especially in the summer, that spoke Haitian Creole. I was wrong. There was. If I had ever heard someone at this point preach or speak in Haitian Creole before, I was unaware. As Gregorio preached, I could understand the words that his translator spoke, but I obviously could not understand his words. None of that really mattered, though. As he preached, I could not understand his words, and I was not really hearing the words of his translator, for I was fixated on how visible it was that the Holy Spirit was moving through Gregorio. His facial expressions, his body language, his use of hands, all made abundantly clear that the Holy Spirit was moving through him. I was overcome with emotion because the gospel of Jesus Christ was presented to me in a brand new way. For the first time in my life, I found that I was seeing the Holy Spirit move without the necessity of understanding the words. It was as if divided tongues as a fire had descended upon this Haitian pastor. He was speaking his own native language, and I was hearing him preach the good news of Jesus Christ by the way that the Holy Spirit moved through him. Almost any time I read the Pentecost story, I cannot help but think back to that experience in which through foreign languages that I did not understand, the Holy Spirit was shown to be present in someone calling on the name of the Lord. And that remarkable experience was made possible because people came together from different places and different ideas, and they came together all in one place. The timeline of the Easter season as it leads to Pentecost always impresses and amazes me. The liturgical calendar aligns with it, and we follow it almost exactly. Some minor but necessary changes happen along the way, like a day being celebrated on the nearest Sunday as opposed to the exact day that it would occur. After all, our best opportunity to celebrate an event in the life of the church is on Sunday, when we are accustomed to all gathering together in one place. For example, we celebrated the ascension of Jesus, which occurred on the 40th day of resurrection last Sunday, which, sorry, was technically the 43rd day of the season of Easter. The church has permitted this custom, not just us, but the grander church, because it turned out that people were more interested in celebrating it on Sunday than they were on a Thursday, which was actually the 40th day of Easter. 
Pentecost, however, we get exactly right. Today is the 50th day of the season of Easter, or 50 days of Easter. In fact, our word Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecoste, which means 50th. The identity of this day in which we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit and also really celebrate the birth of the early church as our children did centers around its place in the timeline of the story. It is the 50th day, the culmination of the great 50 days of Easter. To truly grasp the power and the presence of this, the 50th day, I think it's good for us to roll back a few days and remember how all of this played out. Luke and Acts are a two-part series written by the same author, both addressed to Theophilus. If you read the end of Luke into the beginning of Acts, you feel free to do this for homework this week, they really do flow together. The first book, the Gospel of Luke, is the story of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Part two, Acts, is Acts of the Apostles by the way of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Jesus Christ, Acts of the Apostles. If you look at the end of Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, it tells of what Jesus teaches them right before he leads them out as far as Bethany and ascends. So, at this point, we're talking about day 40 type words of Jesus stuff here. He says to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city, Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus on day 40 tells them, tells the disciples that they are to stay together in Jerusalem until they have been clothed with the Holy Spirit to go forth and be witnesses. Jesus says, you are going to go out but it's got to start here in Jerusalem. And until then, you need to wait patiently for the Holy Spirit to rain down and clothe you so that you are best prepared for the task ahead. From there, Jesus ascends as we read last Sunday on that the 40th day. Our passage last Sunday concluded with the disciples along with some women, which included Mary, the mother of Jesus, doing as they were commanded by Jesus, and they returned to Jerusalem, where they devoted themselves to prayer and waiting. The rest of Acts chapter 1 tells of a little of what they did in the next few days. Day 41, day 42, day 43, 44, and so on. It's said that in those days, Peter stood among the brothers and sisters, and it notes that together the crowd numbered 120 persons. So tasked with staying in Jerusalem, waiting to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the group of followers of Jesus numbered 120. 
we sitting here today know that the wait from ascension to the Holy Spirit descending and filling them at Pentecost was 10 days. But they had no way of knowing that. They were 120 people led by 12 from all sorts of native lands tasked with waiting for an unknown period of time for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever gotten 10 people to wait patiently for something for a prolonged amount of time? How about 12 people? How about 120 people? Have you ever got 120 people to wait for something for a prolonged time? Just sit here and wait. I'm already hearing some creakiness and uneasiness, and that was only like five seconds. Don't leave. Typically, even when we do have to wait patiently, we have an end date in mind. Waiting for Christmas, we know December 25th is the end date, no matter how long those days of December get. The faithful people of Acts chapter 2 did not know when the day was coming. Jesus assured them that the Holy Spirit was coming, but they did not know the day. They had to wait patiently. If I had opened this morning's worship service by saying, hold on everyone, we're going to have to wait. The Holy Spirit is not here yet, but the Holy Spirit is coming. I don't really know when, so we'll just have to sit here and wait. I cannot imagine we would all be here very much, very, very long, much less still be here in 10 days. We are ever thankful to those 100, 120, their 12 leaders, and their commitment to waiting in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to fully equip them for the task ahead. In this period of waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, I am inspired by the way that they waited Ten days into the wait in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2 tells us that when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. All together. Ten days of waiting. Ten days of commitment to being together. I can imagine that some were anxious I can imagine that people among them might have grown weary or had their doubts. Perhaps the differences of all of their native lands and their opinions had begun to cause challenges. I can imagine that some of them may have begun looking at their proverbial watches, wondering if the day would ever come, wondering if they had been tricked. But what did they do? They waited together. Even in any angst that may or may not have been present, they continued to meet all together in one place. And in doing that, in their togetherness, they received together the marvelous coming of the Holy Spirit. They not only witnessed a miracle, but they were able to take part in one. 
And they were able to show those onlookers a marvelous act of God. The divisions caused by the mixing of languages at Babel were undone as they were able to understand each other in new ways. They were able to be a part of something that would transform the world. Later in chapter 2, we are told that the number grew from 120 to 3,000 that day, all because of commitment to being all together in one place and making space for the Holy Spirit to pour out upon them and for ministry to flourish. On this day of Pentecost, may we take their lead and find ways to continue to all be together. And we find ways to make space for the Holy Spirit to move among us. And we find that day by day, that we add to those that are saved. For as Peter said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Thank you for being among us and moving together with all of us here in this one place. To the glory of God. Amen.